COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Karamante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation, this is a live cast we did for Solvent Wellness with the one and only Michelle Sorensen, clinical psychologist, and we talk about ways to reduce burnout, because especially for healthcare professionals, because these are trying times, as we all know. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Before that, I'm just going to give a quick plug to Solving Wellness. Man, over 125 members at this point, $99 for the year, $9.99 per month, your first month free for real. You got your yoga, you got your fitness, you got your cognitive behavioral therapy, you got your guided meditations, cooking classes, nutrition tips. We get it all, man. And it's a community, a community supporting each other. I'm so proud of this thing. Sign up today, solvingwellness.ca and join the movement. All right. So without further ado, let's jump on it. Michelle Sorsen. Solving wellness, solving healthcare community. We have the one and only Michelle Sorensen back in full effect because we need you, Michelle. We need you. Is that right? Okay. I think so. <laughs> These are some trying times, yo. Sure. You know what I mean? So uh, welcome back. How are you feeling? Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time. We It means a lot to our group. I know that for a fact. And let's, let's, I mean, let's just start with it. Like what there's been a ton of burnout uh, within healthcare. And what I've seen too, is a lot of people leaving the profession even. So is this like in your profession, is this what you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, I think that we don't have a lot of data. It's always nice. I know you're a big fan of data and if only in terms of organizational psychology and what's happening in the workplaces in Canada, we had data that would be lovely, maybe at some point. But I think anecdotally, when, you know, people like you and I that kind of are involved in the community and we talk to lots of people, like I, I get all the referrals coming into my clinic and there's like 25 of us there. And so I hear from the other therapists what they're seeing. Um, and what I, I mean, we've always had, of course, lots of people who come to therapy, work burnout is a topic. But what I've really noticed with the third lockdown, especially, is how much that was the presenting issue, not just people reaching out like I'm stressed with family and work. Like one of the primary issues they were reaching out was because of work burnout, which is sort of an interesting topic because we might be using the phrase work burnout. But as you know, from working in healthcare and seeing people leaving, a lot of times what we're actually seeing is trauma. 
grief and trauma and people overwhelmed. Wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think if you, you look at the factors, there's so many uh, in terms of why they might be burning out. And so, so like, do, is there like certain ones that come to mind or that certain themes that have come up when it yeah, comes to burnout? Absolutely. I mean, as you know, with healthcare, there's a whole, I mean, there, the, the work stress started really early for all of you, like even in the buildup to the first lockdown, of course, everyone was hearing about COVID. So I think healthcare and a lot of your audience is healthcare. We know that there's some very specific factors there, but I think that there's a lot of burnout happening in all kinds of organizations, both public sector and private sector. So we know in education, it's obviously been super stressful, people having to pivot, all kinds of political tensions uh, that we're well aware of. Um, But then we also see in the private sector and a lot of companies, it's this work from home, which obviously was like a privilege and a blessing for people really scared of COVID in the beginning. But there's a huge psychological and physical fallout from people basically being kind of caged in their homes, like always home, not always having good setups, Of course, the school closures add to that for many people. But, you know, for people who have children, they sometimes are lucky enough to have a decent sized house. And but, you know, for younger employees, they could be working out of their bedroom because they live at home with their parents or they came home from university. Um, So even school burnout is a lot like work burnout. Like there's just so many factors and the accumulation of, you know, going on a year and a half soon of that. Well, yeah, exactly. Because it's been like we never would have guessed, like at the beginning of this being a year and a half of of this, like just this relentless stress of of managing through this pandemic. And so, exactly, like one of the factors I see, and I'm quite, you know, when I talk to clients, I'm quite forward about recommending that they take vacation. But again, for many people, for people like yourself it's probably more clear cut that you book your time off when you can. I know you guys have worked a lot of overtime too, but for people who work from home, especially it's been much, but I'm sure even there's nurses who are like, well, I can't go anywhere. I can't go on vacation. I can't go visit my family out East or do that trip to Disney. We planned. So I'll just wait. And a lot of organizations like the public service here in Ottawa kind of, you know, we're more flexible about people carrying over vacation, which sort of made sense but oh my gosh there are people who have barely taken time off and it's this understandable rationale of like well i'm just at home anyways i'm on my computer maybe some people there's times their workload isn't that heavy but for people to disconnect to know they don't have to log on even send any emails i mean we all need time to like let our nervous systems settle down and also like let the grief come up you can't just work your way, like work yourself so much and be so busy that you never get time to actually kind of process what's happened in your life. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the things that come up too amongst caregivers is sometimes they don't recognize the signs and symptoms of burnout. And so you know, I don't know if it's too individualistic or if it's easy to summarize, but like what, what are kind of like maybe the early signs of, of that things are getting to be a little bit much? That's a great question. And I think you're right. Like it varies a lot, but I can share that 
Some of it is just really basic things. But again, if you think about it from the cognitive behavioral therapy model, like we have all these thoughts and people tend to often blame themselves or try and push away their negative thoughts. So for example, someone who's feeling really resentful of their job, they don't enjoy it as much as they used to, or they're having interpersonal tensions at work they don't usually have. Like all of these things can be signs of burnout. And again, if we look at strategies like pacing yourself, taking time off, there's all these kind of barriers that get in the way of people taking care of themselves before they hit the full on burnout, like to catch those early signs and slow down so that you don't end up on long term disability or a WSIB claim or all these unintended consequences that are so terrible for workplaces and organizations. Yeah, because that's my true concern amongst us, uh, Michelle, is that we don't recognize the science early enough and intervene early enough because, you know, especially I can speak from the, the doc's perspective. It's always this power through mentality is like, you know, you're tired. You keep, just keep hustling. You know, we all did it. Like you're tired. It's it's all part of the game. Are you feeling a little bit, uh, I don't know, like less motivated, you'll get through it. You know, like all that kind of, um, that kind of mindset or that, that kind of, uh, push. And so, yeah, I think it's important to talk about that, those early signs. So you, you know, do some of the steps that you can to reduce that burnout. You're sort of talking about personality differences there and it's super important. Like, of course there's introverts and there's extroverts and there's leaders. And then there's more like, you know, the team members, the collaborative people. And so, yeah, when you talk about the hustle, people who really like adrenaline, they, whether it's medicine or competitive sports or, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, the Bay Street bankers, but these, yeah, these high energy, the people who just do, 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 like it's very easy to push, as you said, push past those symptoms of burnout and think, oh, I, f- I feel like there's too much, but I'll just get it all done and then I'll rest mm. rather than finding a way to say, what can I let go of and slow down now? It's just not the mindset, right? So people mm. who are really mentally tough and resilient, there's the flip side. Like they don't know mm. until they're really, really done. That they're- yeah, like, the, like a, you see a lot of like books or tech texts on uh grit for example like that 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 ability to persevere and you know that's it's it's good in some ways but when it comes to self-care i guess or or when we talk about burnout this is that could be the enemy if you will yeah so we've talked before about self-compassion in relationship to resilience um on your show and this is exactly what you're kind of touching on that People who are mentally strong are not hard and cold. They actually, they're self-compassionate and therefore compassionate towards others, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is being psychologically resilient, which doesn't mean that you don't make tough decisions. You'll make decisions that not everyone likes. So when we look at it from the perspective of a manager or of an employee, being assertive and taking care of yourself, definitely other people don't always like it. But it's, yeah, it's a very resilient thing to practice assertiveness and take care of yourself. 100%, 100%. So what, you know, we're called solving wellness, solving healthcare. 
as you know. So like, what can we do to help mitigate some of these uh, concerns? How do we, how do we get through these tough times? So, I mean, I think we'll focus on what individuals can do because that's what your listeners can control. But I did want to say that, you know, organizations also can look at risk factors versus resiliency factors, right? So you have talked before about how much it means to hospital staff when people bring food or they show their support in other ways, right? I mean, I know when kids write things in chalk on the sidewalk or they put things in their window, like for everyone that matters. And organizations, both public and private sector, I think, I mean, there's a whole lot of organizational psych you could get into in terms of what motivates people. But, you know, compensation and pay is definitely not really top of the list. It's important in practical measures, but feeling seen and appreciated like on a micro level or macro level. So I do think I have heard some stories of organizations doing positive things that really help, but anyways, we'll focus more on individuals, but for people it's listening for a, a leadership it's a, role, it's good to yeah. think about. And it's because that's a, that's a, a nice, easy thing to do. Like it could be just even an email or if you're in a leadership position, send that text message or what have you. Yeah. Like, it's a nice reminder actually. Yeah. And I mean, some organizations have done well in the pandemic and might have the money, for example, to give people like, you know, maybe a relatively small amount of money that helps them set up a better home office. Like there's, but yes, even just like managers stating, like not thinking that grownups don't need praise or kudos, but just remembering how much people appreciate acknowledgement or like parents doing this crazy working from home or not working from home and somehow juggling kids being out of school when they have colleagues who say wow like I know you're dealing with that and you know kind of acknowledge it and certainly at an organizational level showing support I think all of that matters but yeah moving on to what individuals can do I think that um you know, assertiveness, again, is this really key factor. And certainly people who struggle with assertiveness or people pleasing, great idea to go to therapy. Stigma about therapy is really reduced. And I mean, it's one positive thing we've seen in the pandemic is so many people who've never gotten professional help before are, and it can be these kinds of issues that almost pertain to work coaching, but they're very personal issues. So the way I describe assertiveness is we try and turn towards others instead of against or instead of turning inwards, right? So for example, someone feeling like the work just keeps piling on and on, like say someone doing work from home, could be like an admin staff for a hospital, right? That's being designated to work from home or people who like some kind of closure gets extended and like they have to call all these people and cancel surgeries and they're feeling like it's too much on their own. A lot of people hold back because they don't want to complain or what people who struggle with assertiveness will say is, and maybe especially, I hate to talk about gender, but I think especially women, we see this a lot. I don't want to make them feel bad. So like, I don't want to tell my coworkers that I'm getting too much work because they might feel guilty or the person who's been on reduced hours might feel guilty. But I think the big thing that comes up in therapy is teaching people like you truly aren't responsible for how other people feel. You can't you can't control other people's thoughts and feelings. So when you say, I need this, I think I have too much on my plate. Maybe you can present some ideas about how to make it better. 
that's not aggression. It's not complaining. It's assertiveness. No, I think a hundred percent. I think, uh, cause there is that, the general culture of not wanting to make people feel bad or put more on another person's plate or whatever. But as I've said many times on this show, to be able to take care of others, we need to be taking care of ourselves. And so that's where that compassion, I think, comes in too. Yeah. Well, I've heard it from people in healthcare and you must be hearing it too. Like it's hard when you know there's short staff for nurses in the ICU. It's hard for someone who could take the shift to say no, but if they really are needing a break, it's, it's so important. But again, I don't want to say it's just, you know, in one type of work environment, like there's so many complicated factors affecting all kinds of work environments. And, you know, in the past, I've often said to people around work stress, you know, we tend to have this problem in workplaces where the harder, the hardest workers, they get all the work. Oh, I know Quadro will do a good job on that. So we'll give him that. Oh, like, I know I can count on so-and-so. So we'll just give them this one more team or this one more task. And then these hard workers end up getting more and more work. But I feel like right now, this is kind of like the state Ontario is in. Like, there are people who really care. They're working super hard. And so the problem with organizations that I've often pointed out to people is like, if you keep doing this unreasonable workload, the message that gets sent to management is, well, look, it must be manageable. So right now, somehow the education sector, the healthcare sector, private sectors, somehow right now it's all sort of functioning. And the message that gets sent is like, oh, we can all cope with this. We don't have like the fun things. People can't go for a haircut. Parents can't take their kids um, to the outdoor pool. But, oh, somehow the work keeps getting done. So I think everyone needs to have little ways to assert themselves to send the message. It's not doable, right? I actually like it even just set the tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I just, it's a sometimes uh, just for people to know, like, you have your limits. This is how far we're willing to go. I don't know. So often when you do assert yourself, you, you, you get more respect in yeah. that environment. Yeah, absolutely. And so just people being aware of their barriers, like what holds them back? As you said, you have to take care of yourself to help others. So what holds them back? Is it guilt? Is it, oh, it's going to be an awkward conversation? Is it, I want, I want to prove myself in this, in this new job? Like you can't really problem solve until you identify what are the background issues. So yeah, I'd highly recommend people work on assertiveness and kind of tune into the people pleasing issues. Like again, when we talked about cognitive behavioral therapy before we talked about the layers of our cognitions. So there's always these underlying assumptions underneath the thoughts we're aware of. Like if people don't like me, then it means I'm not likable. Or if I don't, you know, prove myself, then I'm a failure. So again, sometimes people need to go to therapy, but sometimes people just need some time off work. Like a long weekend to really give some reflection to what's happening for them and how they can kind of slow down. I like it. Yeah. More assertiveness. We could do this, Michelle. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so again, that kind of, you know, I guess the next piece that goes along with that, as I said about the balanced thinking, being more evidence-based, like you have these negative thoughts and saying to yourself, okay, wait, is this a fact or is this, Like, is this an interpretation? Like, am I telling myself this story or do I know this to be true? And so people trying to kind of 
you know, work on that. And then there's this uh, like a cognitive distortion that we talk about in CBT sometimes, which is like emotional reasoning. Well, it feels this way. Therefore, it must be true. So like I feel like my boss is disappointed in me because I took time off. Well, is that just, you know, your gut feeling based on a long pattern of how you operate in the world or is it truth? So I'd recommend people kind of identify that emotional reasoning piece and then, you know, have conversations with coworkers or management or whoever that let you gather more facts. Mm. So the next piece of it. I like it. I like it, Michelle. Anything, anything else that uh, people could do to manage? Uh, yeah, a couple more problems? ideas. I had prepared a little list of like the top things we're seeing in therapy. So we did talk about this a bit before, but please book vacation time, people. Like oh, it's yeah. summer. Summer is precious everywhere, mm. certainly here in Canada. And again, I just can't you know, emphasize enough, like how much I think this is actually a problem in a lot of organizations that people are carrying over or not using vacation because they're waiting for the end of this. But like, we don't actually know when it will be easier to travel out of the province or out of the country. And like, there are things people can do now. And if what gets in the way is that you feel really uncomfortable when you take time off, like you got off the hamster wheel and you don't know what to do if you're not at your laptop or at the hospital or whatever you do, then that actually shows how important it is to take time off and force yourself to decompress, kind of downshift, as we call it, like finding, picking up a novel. And, you know, a lot of people are describing, I can't concentrate on anything at work too. We've Mm -hmm. had, I've never seen the number of referrals of adults asking about ADHD diagnosis, diagnosis, like a diagnosis with us or where to go and treatment. And honestly, this is not that we all of a sudden have, I mean, there might be some people for whom their current work arrangement is like a tipping point and they're like, oh, I had ADHD all my life and now I'm getting diagnosed. But I think it's trauma. It's stress and trauma. And when people are depressed or anxious, they can't concentrate. So again, that's a sign of how much people need to like if you can't read a book, you can't concentrate on anything, then that especially means you need time off. Do a puzzle, lie in the grass and stare up at the sky, like experiment with change because I'm really worried about people and their nervous system right now. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that's the first time I'm hearing this. It's wild. So people just sounds like just having a tough time focusing or concentrating. And, and, and as you said, Michelle, you relate that to just being overworked over, I don't know, stressed, anxious, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Traumatized. Yeah. I think people at home. So actually I was doing a bit of, I was refreshing my memory on the research about ADHD because honestly we had this two weeks at the clinic where there were so many emails and phone calls. They're definitely still coming in. And concurrently, I had been in my local um, drugstore and I said to one of the women that works there, I'm like, I can't believe how busy you guys are still. And she actually kind of said, yeah, there's a lot more meds, a lot more ADHD. And I was like, yeah, that kind of matches up with what I'm seeing. I'm sure for kids too, like Mm. plenty of people, again, it's so sad. Kids don't have recess. They're not moving around. They're sitting in front of a computer. So I actually was doing some research on ADHD and risk factors. And lo and behold, you know, back in, it was a study from 2019, pre-pandemic, cautioning parents, like, reduce your screen time to this much for kids. 
increased screen time, and I think we're talking like more than two hours a day, you know, seven to eight times higher incidence of ADHD, um, reduced physical activity, huge risk factor for ADHD. So again, gyms are closed, adults are working out less. Like, is it a surprise that we're gonna probably have way more people on Concerta and different ADHD meds? Probably not. Wow, we hear this people, we gotta start moving, man. That's right. Christ. Solving wellness, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Get, get us moving. Yeah, so those are like really concerning trends that we're seeing and again there's no data i know i'm just one person one one psychology psychotherapy clinic but it really does worry me and i remember reading an article like a handful of years ago where they talked about how already in our society because of increased screen time and devices right the smartphones how easily accessible it is that you know many adults and kids it's like a security blanket we can never put it down um and so that can kind of create almost like this attention deficit syndrome. Like you might not have it because I'm not at all minimizing. I mean, there are children born with a variety of symptoms. Their brains are different. They a hundred percent, you know, have attention deficit disorder. So I'm not at all saying that, you know, it's the same thing, but I think that's what we're seeing is a lot of people who almost have this syndrome that's like that, the fidgety, the can't concentrate. And yeah, so the antidote, there's actually a psychiatrist uh, at CHEO, I think he's still there, who in past years has done talks in the community, how the antidote um, with children's mental health is time outdoors. Like it's Mm. nature, get your kids out in nature. So that's something we can all do for ourselves as adults and with our families, hopefully more over the coming months and kind of offset. Yeah, oh, man, it's uh, nice. The weather outside, just everyone go. We're going for a nature walk or we just go outside, go for a family walk. Yeah. Before school. And then like when you can't, like I hear these stories from people like I tried, I went outside, I chatted to my neighbor. I was doing a bit better, but then I just had a time where I had to curl up in a ball or, you know, someone said I had to go for a long walk by myself and get away from the family or, you know, maybe go for a drive. And That is key because what's happening is your grief is coming up. Like we have all been going through the stages of grief. We're in anger, we're in depression, we're bargaining, you know, we're, and so for people to make space for that to happen, like you can't get around grief. You have to go through it at some point. And I mean, you can do these things in parallel. You can create good moments, happy times, and then you can have moments where it's too much for you and you need to take care of yourself. And I, I think for people not to, you know, if you recognize that what you're feeling is grief, then you don't feel like you're going crazy. It's like, okay, this makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, also that I keep going back to it, but that self-compassion, you know, you need to mourn, you need to go through those steps. Uh, That is okay. Yeah. So, so we got assert yourself. We got uh, book that vacation time. Yeah. Make time for yourself. Prevent burnout by taking a long weekend, a mental health day when needed, you know, even for some people have a busy day of team meetings or Zoom or whatever, like when it feels like too much, sometimes the question is not how do I power through? It's like, what can I let go of? You know, one day last week I was booked back to back all day with, you know, uh, clinical work, but also, and it was a lot of virtual work but also meetings with my colleagues. And so when I was, I looked at my schedule and I thought like, I'm literally not eating lunch. Like obviously my brain is going to not function. So I just, 
I mean, it sounds so small, but it can be a big deal for me too. Like I emailed one of them and or texted and said, can we sign on on a quarter after, at a quarter after so that I have 15 minutes to eat? And of course she was fine with that. It didn't affect the meeting at all to go from 60 to 45 minutes yeah. and meet a world of difference. I mean, that's a small example, but it all matters. And it adds up. It adds up. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And just slowing down, right? Like even five to 10 minutes between meetings or like you've said before, five, two minutes, one minute, in a tough clinical situation, I remember you saying can completely turn things around. Oh man. One breath. One you breath. Know? Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. You're like, I'm not sure what's going on. You take slow down to get breath. And so all of a sudden the solution comes to you. It's insane. Yeah. Any other tips that you think of for our listeners? Two more things. So like one, I mean, we've kind of already said it, try and do fun things, you know, and social connection. Like, so we talked about how, I mean, social isolation is the core feature of trauma and we've all been through it to some degree. And it's harder for some people than others. Like I know some people say, oh, I'm okay. My kids are okay. Most people aren't okay. If you are wonderful, but most people are not okay. And it's important for people to know that's normal because trauma is created by social isolation. And then a key factor in recovery, like when we look at the stages of recovery from trauma, and when we think about what we as a society need, it's telling your story and connection. So when I say about have fun, if that can be, if that can create moments of connection in safe ways with other people, and for some people, it's like with their own spouse to reconnect, you know, or with their teenager or, or maybe with a friend you haven't seen or colleagues when you can go for coffee with a colleague that you haven't seen in person for months and months. Like there's lots of possibilities. Um, But I guess the other thing connected to that recovery and us telling our stories, um, feeling safe again, it's vulnerability. It's the ability to open up. I mean, so many people have, they're fighting with family members who see things differently with COVID or people have distance because, you know, men don't so much get together and go for a walk like women. They watch games together. They have wings together, not to stereotype, but like a lot of friends are disconnected. And so if we think about, okay, yes, have fun, connect, but also look for opportunities to be vulnerable. Like someone admitting they're having a hard time, again, whether it's to a colleague or a friend or their partner, the whole opening up vulnerability, it's not weakness. It, it really is a strength. Yeah, and I mean, it takes courage, but those are the moments that you, they essentially provide an opportunity to connect. You're providing a relatable, often scenario with a loved one, colleague, Mm -hmm. friend, and, you know, those are when some of the, those real connections are formed. And I mean, by no means are you going to tell them your whole life story necessarily, but, you know, even just saying like, oh man, it's been a tough day. Yeah, there's an excellent TED Talk for people who want to learn more from quite a while ago now by Brene Brown, who became very well known, right? And her original TED Talk that kind of helped her become really well known initially in social work and psychology circles, but then very mainstream. It was on vulnerability. And she talks about, yeah, just how hard it is to to open up sometimes. But it is a bit of a test. Like if you're vulnerable for to someone, and they don't respond well, well, by no means continue to 
expose yourself, like find the people who respond with empathy or like me too. I know how you feel who mm-hmm. validate. And uh, I think most people feel how healing that is. And hopefully with more connection in the coming months, there'll be more opportunity for that kind of healing. And of course, if people don't have personal opportunities, then again, it's a reason if possible to get professional help. Yeah. And, and maybe this is my optimism coming through, but because a lot of people have been struggling, you know, the I think there'll be some really great opportunities to create those genuine connections with people because mm-hmm. there's been a lot to talk about. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a lot yeah. of, whether it's the schools, whether it's jobs, whether it's fear of COVID, whether it's, you know, vaccines or whatever it might be, there's a lot of uh, opportunity to be vulnerable about a lot of topics these days and or as we're talking about now work work struggles you know addressing burnout so yeah i mean hopefully if people open up about that and other people are non-judgmental and understanding it it really offers an opportunity if someone can talk through it with a friend or a colleague to figure out what they need to do i mean when our thoughts are trapped in our head they always seem so much more like scary and painful than when we start to say them out loud. So yeah, if people can kind of show up and be there for each other, that's wonderful. And then we as well as a society really need to look at how we're going to increase mental health support. I mean, even people being able to see family doctors in person and talk Mm -hmm. about things, seeing psychologists in person, like I have continued as much as, um, a lot of my clients want to like with social distancing and masking and a combination of things and differently within the therapy office than I, you know, I do see it's a small minority of people that want to come in person, but when it's appropriate, but I have to say like, as a profession, I feel like there are a number of professions that were able to go virtual that have gone completely virtual, like many individuals. And I mean, I think all of us in healthcare have to take responsibility here Healthcare was one of the first groups up for vaccination. We'll also be up for second vaccines. And I'm not telling anyone what to do, but I know, I don't know, you know, how doctors and everyone else feels like I'll be really proud of my profession if people are quick when it's safe or when they feel it's safe to see people in person. Like human connection is essential. It's it's everything. It's what makes us human. And yeah. uh, I like what you're saying. Like we all have a, the duty we we elected to serve. So when it's time is right, we got to do this proper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, many people took on real risks last spring, including yourself and your colleagues. And then, I mean, some I wasn't allowed. Like in the initial lockdown, I had to stay home. I wasn't allowed except for emergencies. But yeah, I think looking forward, like we really need, I hope we see healthcare open up more to people again. I feel that there's been a lot of understandably different sectors protecting themselves. And yeah, I feel a very strong call to serve. Um, But yeah, I really hope we just acknowledge how much healing will involve people seeing other human beings in person. It's not enough over the phone. And ironically, that might actually mitigate some burnout too, having that real connection with patients. Absolutely. But even other workplaces, like there's, I mean, it's going to be really interesting for us in therapy because there'll be a lot of people who've been working from home probably over like well over a year and a half by the time they go back, like in many public sector jobs. And there's going to be a ton of, there already is way like so much increased social anxiety. 
um, and all germ phobia, all kinds of issues. And it'll be really scary for people when they're going, some people when they go back to work. But I think once people, even if it's hybrid, it's like a staggered entry, they keep numbers low. People will feel that those benefits of collaborating together, more connection. I, I mean, maybe again, like you, I'm very optimistic, but I think that will really help people. Yeah, a hundred percent, Michelle. Yeah. As usual, thank you very much for the knowledge. Thank you. The game. Uh, I love it. I, I think everyone's going to really appreciate this one, especially during this time of year. And uh, honestly, keep doing what we're doing. Doing what we're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And, you Because uh, we really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Quadro. It was great to see you as always. Good to see you too. Hope you enjoyed this. Michelle representing as always. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook at Quadcast. Leave any comments at Quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave us that five-star rating on iTunes. Leave that review. Because that's how we change that boogie, increase that visibility. We love you. Thanks so much for listening. And we're going to connect again real quick. Peace.